Thank you very much. I'd like you to take God's Word with me tonight, please, and turn to the New Testament book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we're continuing this little series on the Christian home. And I don't know about you, but I think uh, each one of us could do with taking a fresh look at God's Word when we consider our home. And if there's one area that is under attack in the world today, you've heard me say it many times, it is the home. And uh, it is attacked on every angle, in every way imaginable. Marriages are being attacked and lives are being, families are being torn apart and we need a fresh view of what God's Word says. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We'll look together at the last few verses, the last four verses of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And in my opinion, the greatest sermon ever preached No doubt the greatest preacher that the world has ever known, the Lord Jesus himself. But uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest, the greatest sermon ever preached. Look at verse 24. Therefore, at the conclusion of all of Jesus' great wisdom and instruction, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And uh, Christ concludes this famous Sermon on the Mount with this simple little illustration, this parable about your foundation. And we know it, it's quite a simple little parable. And if you build your house on the sand, the house, it's just a matter of time before the house comes crumbling down. And if you build your house upon a rock, then the storms can come all they want to, but the house isn't going anywhere because its foundation is sure. Now Christ helps us to understand that this is in direct reference to following his teaching, what he had just given unto us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The foundation is the word of Christ. And any building will only ever be as good as its foundation is. If the foundation is laid properly, the building will stand. If it isn't, it's just a matter of time before it falls. And thus it goes with the family. If you don't have a proper foundation, then it is just a matter of time before your family falls apart. Psalm chapter 11, verse number 3, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We're looking around at a nation that is crumbling because the foundations have been destroyed. You look at a family that's falling apart and you say, what happened to that family? It's very simple. Somewhere along the line, either the foundation was wrong or the foundation wasn't cared for properly. Your marriage, your home will only ever be as strong as its foundation. And you will never really know the strength or the weakness of a foundation until a storm comes. And what family 
doesn't have its share of storms? What marriage doesn't have storms? You'd be lying if you pretended that your family, your marriage has never had a storm. What made the wise man different from the foolish man? Well, very simply put, he put into practice what Jesus said. And the foolish man, on the other hand, thought he was more clever. And there are a great many of professing believers today who call themselves Christians with their lips, but they deny the Lord Jesus with their lifestyle because they simply refuse to follow his clear teaching. And you can't expect to have a home or a life. This isn't just for families. If you're not married yet, hopefully one day you, you'd like to be. If not, that's no problem. But your life itself will crumble if you don't have a solid foundation. Think about these, this wise and foolish man, these two men. They both heard the same thing that Jesus taught. That's what Jesus is saying. Both of them heard the teachings of Jesus. Both of them built a house, and, and really, for the most part, both homes look the same. Both houses look the same. Perhaps they use the same materials, but there was one difference, the foundation. If you're married tonight, I want you to think with me for just a moment. What foundation did you lay before you got married? Did you lay any foundation? Are those foundations still strong today, or do they need underpinning? My wife and I were looking at potentially purchasing a home a couple of years ago, and it was a beautiful old 18th century home, just my style of a house. High ceilings, big rooms, absolutely brilliant. Big open fire in the dining room and a couple of wood-burning stoves. My kind of a home. Loads of character. But of course, you have to get some sort of a survey if you want to buy a home. And when the survey report came back, it said that the front corner of the home had begun to sink significantly over time. And it needed underpinning. The foundation in one corner over time had begun to sink. And if it wasn't addressed properly, then soon and very soon the, whole, the house would crumble and fall. And perhaps tonight your marriage needs underpinning. Perhaps your marriage in one corner has begun to sink. And you need to strengthen it a little bit. By the way, it's not too late. If your marriage is not what it should be tonight, if it's crumbling and falling apart, it is not too late. The foundation can be strengthened, and for the rest of your days, you can enjoy what God intended for you to know in a marriage and in a home. I wonder tonight, will your foundation stand the test of time? I hope it will. A house that is built properly will be a blessed place to live. And a family that is built properly will be a blessing to be a part of. Let's think about our foundation. What, what is our foundation? As a Christian, as a Christian individual, what is the foundation of your life upon which you will build the rest of your life as an individual? Scriptures are very clear about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the apostle Paul writes, and he tells us this, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of life for every child of God is the person of Jesus Christ. The chief cornerstone is Jesus himself. 
And can I just say quite boldly that if Christ is not a part of your life, an active part of your life, then you are building on sand. No matter how strong you think your life is, no matter how settled you think your life is and how secure you are in your job and in your circumstance, if Jesus isn't not just a part of your life, but if Jesus isn't the foundation of your life, you are building on sinking sand. And the first time a storm comes, your house will be affected greatly. Your life will be affected greatly. Psalm chapter 82, let me read a couple of verses for you. I think it's a very uh, appropriate psalm for the day in which we find ourselves right now. Psalm chapter 82 and verse 4, Deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Now listen to this. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk in darkness, speaking of the wicked. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. They've been moved. The foundations of the world have been moved. The foundations of our society have been moved. It's not what it ought to be, as if an earthquake has shaken the very foundations and split the foundation in two. The foundations of the whole world are not right. And we can see it, can't we, all around. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 24, if you would, please. And we find a couple of uh, key ingredients, you could say, in building a home, in building a family. And, and by the way, I encourage you, those of you who are married and have families already, we ought to constantly revisit the Scriptures and re-examine whether our marriages and our homes be honoring unto the Lord. Proverbs 24, listen to what the Scriptures say in verse number 3. Through wisdom is a house builded wisdom through wisdom is a house built it goes on and by understanding it is established and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches the key to building a christian home the key to having a christian home is wisdom which is personified in jesus christ all throughout the proverbs Every time you read about wisdom in the Proverbs, it's speaking of a person who is Christ and Christ alone. Understanding establishes the home. Understanding of God's word and the principles found within God's word. And by knowledge, that home will be furnished or filled. Now, I've been into quite a number of homes uh, in the course of my years of ministry. I've been in some very wealthy and expensive homes filled with all sorts of beautiful decorations and costly, costly uh, uh, array. But the home, the kind of furnishings that Solomon is speaking about in Proverbs is not about the things that you purchase in a shop somewhere. It's talking about the riches of Christ. And I would rather live in a shack with my six children and wife and have the riches of Christ than to live in a mansion and to know nothing of the wealth of Christ and have everything that this world could offer. Can I say we've put an emphasis in the wrong place in 2021? Our families have put an emphasis on the wrong place. Husbands and fathers are spending hours and hours and hours and hours and hours away from the family trying to earn just a few more pounds so they can buy some nicer things because they think that's what the family really needs. 
What the family really needs are the eternal riches of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 7, Unto you therefore which believe, he, that's Jesus, is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Jesus is precious. I hope he is to you. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, an interesting thought. Philippians 4 and verse number 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He's not going to supply all of your need according to the riches in the bank. According to the riches that you have stored up. No, no, no. The riches that are in Christ. That's where all of your need lies. You get it wrong when you think you need everything else but him. Now, let me remind you, we have a wonderful opportunity as Christians, as in a Christian marriage, to represent the union between Jesus Christ and his church. I remind you that we were made by God, body, soul, and spirit. Now, some people theologically disagree, and they think we're only made body and soul, or body, and they, they uh, say that soul and spirit are synonymous. But in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, entirely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, that's the verse that the children have memorized for the sword club. You remember it? For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The word of God is able to discern or separate between the soul and the spirit. It's so closely linked together. We believe God made us Spirit, soul, and body. The spirit being the innermost part of a man where God dwells when you're born again, when you're, when you're quickened. God breathes upon that and brings new life to that. We believe you're born spiritually dead. That part of man is dead. That's why you're always wanting to know what's missing in your life until you come to know the Savior. And then when you come to know the Savior, the Jews call it the candle of the Lord. That candle's lit. You're brought to life. The soul is your life, your intellect your emotions and your will and you, and you know what your body is five senses but can i just tell you something that if you don't get the foundation in the very spirit right then it doesn't matter the foundations that you've made materialistically and physically yes i think god wants us to have a great union as husband and wife and body soul and spirit you remember what Genesis 2 says? Uh, God ordained man and woman to leave. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh, a union. We understand a union bodily, but it's more than just a oneness in body. No strong marriage is built on a oneness in body. A strong marriage will be built on a spiritual union that lays the foundation for everything else. So we're going to talk tonight about establishing a spiritual foundation. Now, I wonder, before we go any further, if you're married tonight, would you look this way? Do you even have a spiritual foundation? Think about that. Or were you simply attracted to her and she was attracted to you and you thought, well, we both look good and we might make a, make a mighty fine couple and we both are pretty and if we just get married, everything else will work its way, work its way out in the end. Doesn't work like that. 
You've got to have a strong spiritual foundation. Because I remind you, beauty fades. And that soul, that part of your life, sometimes it also is affected. Sometimes you don't have the willpower, the desire, the energy to, to live like you used to live. You don't have the mind that you once had. And so therefore, your spiritual foundation must be strong. I remind you that no house was built in a day. Well, no house worth living in, right? It takes effort and time and care. When I think about a foundation, just recently we, we had a friend uh, put a drive in for us. And before they put those block paving down, before they put those paving blocks down, he didn't just chuck them on top of the grass and hope for the best. No, they dug up the grass, pulled it away, the sod, dug deep enough so that they could lay a foundation upon which the paving blocks would then be placed. It was quite the process. But when you put a foundation on the earth or in the ground for a building. It requires more than one ingredient, doesn't it? Often sand and stone and some sort of cement mixture, water. You get the idea. They all come together to make a firm foundation on which to build. And so it is with a Christian home. You want to have a strong Christian home? There are many ingredients that need to come together. And I want to talk about one tonight. I want to talk about the ingredient of submission. All the fellas sit up and get excited when they hear that word submission because they like that verse found in Ephesians about wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. But long before you ever get to that verse, I remind you, long before you get to that verse about the responsibility of a wife in a, in a home and in a marriage, the scriptures say in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of of God in the fear of the Lord. And I want to speak tonight about having a submission first and foremost to Jesus Christ. Husband, you will never be the man you should be until you submit yourself to Christ. Wife, you'll never be the woman you ought to be until you learn to submit to Christ Jesus as the head. Jesus is the head of the church, is he not? And therefore he must be the head of your life. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 18, that in all things he, that's Jesus, might have the preeminence. Now that's a beautiful word. Preeminent means one who excels everyone and everything else. Someone outstanding. Preeminent means not number one. That's what we think sometimes, right? Jesus is number one in my life. Well, I hope so. I hope he's more than number one. I hope he's one and only. That's what preeminent means. Every once in a while, you find somebody who wants that preeminence. Scriptures tell us John met someone who wanted the preeminence. Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence. He wanted to be. Every once in a while in a church setting, you find someone who wants to be the preeminent one. But he's the one that wants to have all the say and all the right. He's the, he's the one or she's the one sometimes, right? The preeminent one. But Jesus must be preeminent. Jesus Christ. Now, the dominant person in your home must not be. Let me give you who he must not be. 
the dominant person should not be the husband who rules like a dictator and refuses to allow anybody else to have an opinion. The dominant person in the home shouldn't be the wife who always wants to have her own way and perfumes the house by her sulking attitude until she gets what she wants. Shouldn't be the case. It shouldn't be, by the way, shouldn't be the one with the strongest personality. That's the way we think sometimes in the world, right? Well, I, I've got the big personality. I've got a, I'm a strong personality. Therefore, I'm the dominant one. No, 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 no. The Lord Jesus must be preeminent, the only one who's preeminent in our homes. And if you don't get that right, it's going to be, it's going to be a mess from the start. Now, let me ask you before I go any further, who is preeminent in your home? Think about it. Who is it that is exalted in your home? Now, how do, we, how do we give Jesus the preeminence? What's that mean? Practically, what's that look like? Well, it means his way goes, right? If I have the preeminence in my home, then it's my way or the highway. But if Jesus has it, it's his way or the highway. And that's the way it should be. How do we give Christ the preeminence? Well, his word is final. Here it is. And by the way, if you're not reading his word as a family, how can his word be final? His name must be exalted in your home. Is the name of Jesus exalted in your home? Do you speak about the Savior often? I hope you do. Now, think about this for a second. The dominant person in the home is often the one whose presence is felt the most. You ever been in a crowd before and there was a real dominant person in the crowd and everybody knew? You ever been like that? I've got a big personality, I know that. But Christ, his presence should be felt in the home more than anybody else's. I want you to think about that for just a moment. The presence of the Lord Jesus Christ should be felt in your home. People ought to be able to walk in your home and, and sense that the living God is there. They ought to have, there ought to be a marked difference in your home where Christ is preeminent than it is in the home of somebody else who doesn't know him. Everything and everybody else ought to be in submission to him in word and deed. Now in that passage in Ephesians chapter 5 it says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God if you and I are in submission to Christ as our head then that means we give him his rightful place in our home and when you do that there'll be no problem with the God-given order in a home the next verse says wives submit yourselves unto your own husbands now that causes a lot of problems in the world today and wouldn't make me a very popular preacher, uh, but it's God's word. But before you get to that verse, there is a mutual submission one to another in the fear of God. Now let's talk for just a moment. How do we do this? Both husband and wife must know and understand a healthy fear of God. Can I tell you what's wrong in churches today? We've lost all reverence for God. Have you sensed that before? You ever been to a church where it seems that everybody in the world is there but God? And they've lost all reverence for God. They've forgotten who we come before. 
the creator of the universe, the only holy one. We've lost the reverence. We've lost the fear for God. And it's healthy to have that. doesn't mean you're walking around shaking knees, quaking and shaking, afraid God's going to whack you over the head with a big stick. That's not what it is at all. It's an understanding of who he is. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, said that the conclusion of the whole matter is that we ought to fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. That's what, we were, that's what we're here to do. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Have you heard that before? You'll have no wisdom in your life. You'll have no wisdom in your family until you learn to fear God properly. When you fear God properly, you wouldn't be looking at things you shouldn't look at. When you fear God properly, you wouldn't be saying things you shouldn't. There'd be a constant understanding God is here, right here. Here. The fear of God is the beginning of submitting to his will. You see, if you don't fear God, then it, you don't really care about what he wants. Really, that, that's what it comes down to. Some just don't really care what God wants. You're too concerned about what you want. Because there isn't a fear of God. There isn't a fear that one day I'm going to stand before God in answer to him about the life I've lived. Have you ever thought about this? I don't know, but I, I've heard it said before that somebody asked Daniel Webster, the one who compiled the Webster's Dictionary, what was the greatest thought that ever came into his mind? He was a, a genius. He said, the greatest thought that ever came into my mind was my personal accountability to God. Think about that. I will stand before him one day. And so if our foundation as a family, as a marriage is going to be proper, it must have that fear of God. Scriptures say, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Wives have to, must love their husbands and submit to them, understanding that it's not a place of weakness, but rather a place of strength. Remember Christ, if you remember, was in submission to the will of his Father. That he was still co-equal, wasn't he? Was Jesus any less than the Father because he was submitted to the Father's will? Of course not. Neither is a woman any less of a human being because she submitted to the leading and guiding of her husband. Husband, we're to lead our wives as Christ leads and loves the church. To be the kind of husband that, will have, that women have no problem submitting to. The kind of a man that steps up to the mark and assumes a responsibility with leading, our world is almost entirely void of the kind of men that you read about in God's Word. The modern man is a far cry of what we find in Scripture. In fact, we're blending genders now, aren't we? We aren't, but some are. So there is no such thing as manhood or and by the way, the feminine movement have really shot themselves in the foot with that one. So they've lost out as well on that lovely aspect of being a woman. All in an attempt to blend it all together. Men step up to the mark. Take pressure off of your wife. Lead the home as you ought to lead it. That's our God-given responsibility. Now, James chapter 5 gives us some practical instructions in regards to this as well. James chapter 5, a 
concluding remarks. I love the book of James, a very practical book indeed. But in verse number 15, the scriptures say, The prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, I love that last part. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It gets a lot accomplished. It goes a long way. But the beginning of that verse says, confess your faults one to another. Now think about this in the context of a home. When you and I are in submission to Almighty God, when Jesus has the preeminence in our marriages and in our lives, we'll begin to understand the roles that God has given us and we'll begin to understand that pride cannot be found there. Pride is one of the ugliest things known on this planet and it should not be found in a believer's life. It is. And daily we've got to do battle with the flesh. But pride has no place in your home and in your marriage. Jesus, the scriptures say, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride is the destruction of many a relationship. Too stubborn, too arrogant, too proud to say you're sorry, to admit when you're wrong. You ever been there before? Too proud? The wife shouldn't have to be the one that always has to say sorry, even when she's not the one who, who, who did it wrong. The husband, likewise, shouldn't have to be the one that always has to say sorry, even though perhaps he wasn't in the wrong. We should never be too proud to confess our faults. By the way, nobody knows your faults like your spouse, right? If you really want to know what somebody is like, talk to their husband or wife. If you really want to know the measure of somebody's character, then have a chat with their husband or wife because they, they see the good and the bad, right? They see every bit. They see what they look like in the morning when their hair's looking like they freshly rolled out of bed. They know what their breath smells like when they first wake up in the morning, right? They know the good and the bad. And you and I ought not to be afraid, husbands, wives, ought not be afraid to confess when we've gone wrong. We should never bottle things up because we're too proud to let our loved ones know what we're thinking. You ever been like that? Sometimes that's the way we think. And men sometimes go one way or the other. They're often too much of a sissy. Or they go the other way and they're so hard, they're, not, they're, not, they're, afraid, they're afraid to even let a tear drop. They're afraid to talk about things. And remember, husbands and wives, we're one flesh. You ought to be one body. There's a union between you two that does not exist between you and anybody else on earth. Men, if you can't confess your faults to a woman that loves you and who looks after you when you're sick and brought your children into this world, who washes your dirty clothes every week and cooks your tea each night, then something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. And ladies, if you can't confess your faults to that man who loves you and goes out to work every day for you and has promised to forsake all others, to be faithful and to protect and provide for you, has fathered your children, has given his life to looking after his family, then there's something very wrong. Now, I know it's difficult, isn't it? But submission is a beautiful thing when it's found in accordance with God's word. And I bring you back in closing to that seventh chapter of Matthew. 
Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The key to having a home that is established is building first and foremost upon the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the foundation of Christ and Christ alone. And that includes his words. Not just some fancy idea, but it's reading, studying, and following, and putting into practice the words of Christ. You are building on sand without following Christ. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house. It is the storm that proves what kind of a foundation you have. Individually, in your marriage, in your home. Some of you have been through some storms. Why don't you look this way for just a moment? I don't always do this, but I'm going to do it right now. How many of you have had some sort of a storm recently in your home? And maybe it's named after one of your children, I don't know, but... Many of us have had storms recently. And the storms reveal whether or not our foundation is what it ought to be. Now, don't grow discouraged. And don't let every storm make your house less and less stable until it finally, once and for all, falls apart. But if the storm reveals a weakness in the foundation of your marriage and of your home, then by the grace of Almighty God, fix it. Fix it before it's too late. Now, I wonder how many marriages were started without a foundation, a spiritual foundation. Think about it. Maybe that's yours. Well, get it right now. Get it sorted now by the grace of God. Begin now. Searching the scriptures daily. The Bible is filled with so much truth that if you'd only put it to practice. I meet, I meet parents all the time who say, I just don't know what's wrong. Our, our children, this is in this. And, and I say, well, have you have we followed the biblical instruction for for rearing a family? Oh, no, 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 can't do that. The foolish man heard the sayings of Christ and didn't do them. No wonder his house fell down. There's a reason God gave us his word. It's to be read, it's to be believed, and to be applied. And when it is, when that happens... There's a sure foundation granted. Now, I'm glad that when my wife and I had just sort of gotten googly eyes for one another and fallen in love, we went, sat through some sort of a course like this that helped us in the early days of our relationship. Now, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We know that. There's some underpinning and some strengthening. There's always, always needs to be some revisiting, doesn't there? No matter how long you're married. But if you don't get the spiritual foundation right, nothing else will be right. If you neglect the spiritual part of your relationship, then you just watch. Everything else begins to crumble. You begin to see yourself uh, bickering more and more. You begin to see yourselves falling out more and more. You begin more tension rising in the home, more problems in the home because you've neglected the spiritual foundation. If you get that right, everything else will be right. So get it right. Same thing individually. Let's pray together, then we'll sing our final hymn. Father, we acknowledge that we have so much to learn. Forgive us for every time we have heard thy word and not done it. 
Forgive us for being disobedient to the clear teachings of thy word. And instead, may we be those who understand that if we are ever going to have a life worth living, if we're ever going to build a home, family, that is honoring to thee, a life that's honoring to thee, then our foundation must be right. May it begin with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. May he truly be preeminent in our lives, in our homes, in our families. And Lord, if there needs to be some adjustments in our families, then please show it to us tonight that we may begin that work. That work that begins with that fear and submission before thee. Guide us by thy spirit in these matters. Put thy finger upon the places in our homes and families that need to be dealt with. And help these dear families tonight. Protect every family here. Protect every family that's represented here, Lord. We know that Satan is working hard at destroying families. Oh, protect us, Lord. May we heed the clear teachings of thy word. We pray these things tonight in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and for his sake.